Okay, I will now read uh, today's scripture reading, which will be coming from Hebrews 12, uh, and then we will hear a teaching. So Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 13. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of great witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so you have not yet resisted, so that you will not grow weary, sorry, and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone who accepts as his, as his son. He accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate and true, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, I don't know about, uh, about you, but over the course of your life, if you were to think back, have you ever been in a situation where you have uh, given up on something that was difficult, uh, but in hindsight, you really regret giving up on it? Uh, for me, uh, when I first started learning how to play the guitar and bass, uh, for a few months, I had a teacher. And that teacher really wanted me to uh, learn music theory, and he really wanted me to have proper technique. These were very important things to him. However, for me, as a 14-year-old, um, I couldn't have cared less about music theory or proper technique. I thought it was hard. I thought it was boring. And all I wanted to do was learn how to play Enter Sandman by Metallica. Uh, and so I quit the lessons because I thought they were dumb. Now, fast forward decades later, I don't know how to read music. And I have terrible, terrible technique. Do I get by? Sure. But what, what I think about what could I have been 
as a musician, if I had just cared about learning that music theory, learning that terrible technique? What if I had endured it? Endurance, we know, is important for us to be able to develop and grow into the best versions of ourselves. And now, I know that we tend to think about endurance in particular kinds of ways, but here in Hebrews 12, we see a kind of endurance that is distinct, a kind of endurance that shapes us and molds us into something in particular. And I think we largely have an understanding of what endurance is and what it looks like. But the, it's interesting is that the Greek word here in Greek, or in the, our passage rather, it has a little bit of a different meaning than maybe sometimes we think about. So in one sense, it does mean what we think about. It means to stand firm in the midst of really unpleasant and difficult situations and circumstances. But the Greek word here actually means something more along the lines of staying behind when others have departed because you know that you are awaiting something. It's standing firm in the midst of really difficult situations and, uh, um, and circumstances because you know that you are going to receive something because you stayed firmly planted. And that's important because endurance, this is what we're going to see today, is that endurance is not meaningless resistance to our circumstances, but rather it's purpose-filled expectation. It is seeing past the current situation and seeing something greater that comes through that situation. And in the context of this passage, endurance is ultimately seeing God's intention for us in all circumstances. Because as we, we've said earlier in this uh, series, the readers of Hebrews, they're experiencing extreme hardship and persecution. And so the author is encouraging them to endure. And so I want to take a look at this endurance here in this passage so that we do not become weary and so that we can see God at work in our lives in all circumstances. And I want to look at it through three different ways. I want to look at endurance, the endurance of an athlete, which we see here in our passage, the endurance of a child, and then the endurance of our Savior. All right, so first, endurance of an athlete. What do I mean by that? Well, look again at uh, verse, uh, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, if you were here with us last week, uh, when we took a look at Hebrews 11, if you, you'll remember that we saw this list of Old Testament characters uh, listed in Hebrews 11, all of whom were commended for their faith. And as a result of that faith, they all experienced grace through faith, even though they were deeply flawed and broken individuals. They all could testify to the far reaches of God's grace. And so with that in mind, the author now shifts gears a bit and says, given those stories, right, so now that you are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, as a result of hearing those stories, now run with perseverance. And then in verses 11 and 12, he goes on to say that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in it. Therefore, 
Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Now, what's happening here? Well, there is a kind of endurance that is needed in order to be an athlete, right? In order to run the race, in order to strengthen your arms and strengthen your weak knees. There is no athletes that is worth mentioning that does not understand the importance of pain in their development. Pain is required to develop and grow and strengthen, right? The strongest, the fastest, most successful athletes beat their bodies into submission and commit to painful experiences in order to train themselves to persevere when it matters most. I mean, think about typical exercise routines. Lifting weights, for example. When we are lifting weights, we are literally tearing muscle slightly so that over time, as it heals, it expands and it grows. When we, when we run... I absolutely hate running, and I know some people love it, and I don't get it, but why do we run? We run because over time, it, our bodies are able to process oxygen more quickly, and as a result, we're then able to do more, go further. And if you've ever done any of those things, especially in the beginning, you know it really hurts. But over time, it starts to hurt less and less, and then you can do more and more until you get to a point where literally you're able to do something that on day one might have killed you. But now, as a result of the training, it becomes standard for you. Plus, we know this about our bodies. Uh, If we are not challenging our bodies and pushing our bodies, the result is not neutrality. Rather, the consequence of inactivity is actually deterioration. So so not being pushed to be strengthened results in a growing weakness in us. And so I say all of that to say, if that's not the case for our, if that's the case for our physical bodies, why would we not assume then that that's also the case for our emotional and physiological and spiritual existence? That if we're not being pushed, then we are ultimately going to deteriorate. And here, what we see is that we're being called to be strengthened and pushed. But here's the other thing that's interesting, I think, about athletes. Is that the other thing that makes an athlete uh, successful is not just their perseverance, but every good athlete also has a good coach or a good trainer who knows how to push them in just the right ways. Right? It's the trainer's job to make sure that the right pain and the right amount of resistance is applied at the right times in order to push the athlete without crushing or hurting the athlete. Right? If too much resistance is applied to the athlete at the wrong time, real damage could be caused. But if not enough resistance is applied, then no progress or growth occurs. The trainer, usually more than the athlete, knows that balance well. And so when we consider our spiritual lives, we need to consider what is the pain that is brought into our lives? What is the resistance that we experience? 
Right? When, we, when we experience resistance in life, often it's painful and difficult circumstances that create that. It feels a lot like the weights. It feels a lot like that long run. Difficult circumstances in life can be painful, and so often they make us feel like we want to give up. But what if those painful circumstances are God, like a good trainer, pushing us? What if he knows just the right pressure and just the right resistance, just the right amount of pain that we need to develop and grow and strengthen? What if he knows where our comfort levels are and he knows how to push us just past those comfort levels? Now, we've talked about this before, but the Christian life, it's a life of perseverance. It's a life of striving. It's a life of work. And it's not that work that makes us a Christian, and that work doesn't produce for us God's favor, but rather it is work that comes to deepen and strengthen our spiritual lives because growth and development almost never come through easy or passive or comfortable experiences, do they? We know that to be true. Anyone who has ever suffered or experienced real resistance in life knows that through those hard times, so often unexpected things come. Through those hard times, there's a depth of wisdom and apathy and trust and even joy that comes that often is impossible to experience without the hardship. Now, I'm going to make a kind of sweeping statement. I know that can be dangerous, but I think it's appropriate that this is a real challenge for us in the West, especially those in middle class or affluent societies. And by affluent, I don't just mean wealthy, but simply in, re- in the grand scheme of human existence, Western society is the most affluent that the world has ever seen. So much of the American dream is built on the pursuit of comfort and pleasure and no resistance in life. This is why so often for us, when suffering comes, we just don't know how to handle it. We do not believe that God could possibly be applying resistance to my life in order to strengthen me. That doesn't compute so often for us. Rather, we just end up disoriented or angry or doubt-filled. Our obsession with comfort, and in the case of Christians in the United States, sometimes our, our demanding of rights makes us soft because we expect such things. We don't expect the hard times. Several years ago, uh, I was reading a story about a, a pastor who was being persecuted under Boko Haram in Nigeria. And there was an article that was written about him, Pastor Omu. And in the article, it said this about his experience of persecution. It says, as the attackers held a knife to his throat, a gunshot fired outside the church and they fled. During another attack, he was hit with a machete on his head, his neck, and back. Pastor Omu says, in, in response to this, he says, his main source of comfort has been that Jesus said this would happen. And since persecution is certainly taking place, he reasons that surely Christ's other promises 
are true as well. Whenever I think about Pastor Amu's story, I am always left in absolute awe of such faith. The ability to see difficult circumstances in that way. I mean, what is that exactly? I mean, that is someone that has for years been training. That's an example of someone who's had many years of development so that when real, deep, painful suffering comes, he's strong and unwavering in the promises of God. No one wants to suffer. No one desires or seeks out suffering. But are you able to see the experiences, difficult ones, as an opportunity for growth? You know, when you lose a job or when you lose a loved one or when your dreams are crushed or when your comforts are challenged or when your idealized life never comes to fruition, are you able to see it as training, timely resistance? If you just endure, that you will experience God strengthening you even in the midst of those difficult seasons. So that's how we might look at endurance from an athletic perspective. But the author doesn't just call us to endure like an athlete. He also calls us to endure like a child with their parents. Now, what does that look like? Let me read for you again verses 5 through 11. And I want to read the whole thing because I want it to sink in. It says this. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone who accepts, he accepts as his son. Because the Lord disciplines the ones, sorry, he chastens the ones uh, he accepts for his sons. Endure hardship, sorry, as discipline. God is treating you as a child. For what children are not disciplined by their fathers? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, here's why this is important. It's a different perspective on endurance. Because this is where the example of God being our trainer begins to break down. Right? Because the trainer really just has one job, to make you stronger. However, usually the trainer with an athlete lacks the compassion or the love, or the concern that a parent would have for a child. A trainer is not usually interested in your joy or your happiness. The trainer wants you to perform, and sometimes can even be harsh in order to get you to live up to your expectations with no real interest in anything else but making you just better and stronger. But from the Christian perspective, God is not just about making us better performers. God is about transforming us through his love, the love of a father. And like any good father, discipline is crucial. Now, the word uh, discipline here in our passage 
the root word is actually the same word that we uh, use to get pediatric. The idea of discipline here in this word, it, it conjures up this idea of what it means to instruct or to train or to care for a child. And the author is telling us that we ought to endure hardship and correction and that the purpose of that, uh, I'm sorry, that we ought to, correction and instruction and the purpose of that uh, correction is simple. Our passage tells us that it's for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. God makes us holy through his discipline. Now, I just want to say on the front end of this that there is an error that one might fall into that assumes that all hardship is a result of God's discipline in our lives. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have certainly, my wife and I have been on the receiving end of uh, really... um, mean and nasty falsehoods that assumed that some difficult and trying circumstances were the result of God's punishment, there are people that fall into that grave error of assuming that hardships and difficulties are always God's punishment. There's no direct correlation always between hardships in life and God's discipline in our life. But even though that is true, it also needs to be true that we can fall into another error which is to say and to believe that God never disciplines his children. A good father, though, always disciplines his children. And in the midst of hardships, so often, sometimes, there can be lessons that are learned that when we receive as correction really do produce strength. Now, here's the problem with that, of course, is that often children rarely if ever, appreciate discipline in the moment. Anyone with children knows that the child never says, Father, thank you so much for this discipline, this consistent discipline that you have provided to me. This is exactly what I needed. Thank you. I love you for it. I mean, verse 11 is very realistic. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But then it goes on to say, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And we know it to be true that when discipline is lacking in a child's life, almost always chaos is going to ensue. Because as a result of that lack of discipline, the child will have no real sense of what is right or wrong, no sense of anything outside of themselves, no sense of what a healthy relationship ought to be, no sense of the value or necessity of respect or honesty or compassion or justice. A child without discipline often becomes an adult without character, and an adult without character has the potential to wreak havoc on their own life and the lives of others. We know this to be true with parents and children, and yet, often, we balk at the idea of God doing the same. I know it is hard for many to reconcile a God of love who is also a God of discipline, and yet here we have it in our passage, God being described as one who disciplines his children. And here's the reason why I think we often have a hard time seeing God as a God of discipline and a God of love. The reason we tend to balk at the idea is because conceptually we understand that correction and instruction and discipline are necessary, 
But because of often the frailty and the brokenness of our earthly fathers, it often clouds our vision for being able to understand our heavenly father. And what I mean by that is that for some, your earthly fathers have failed you by not being present. Or for others, your fathers have failed you by applying discipline that was excessive or harsh or cruel. For others, your fathers failed you by being apathetic or unengaged. For others, your fathers failed you by wanting to be your friend and not your parents. And so never, they always just let you chart your own course, never really guiding you. And then when you inevitably ended up in trouble, they came and they bailed you out. But in the end, you just, you were spoiled with no real meaningful guidance for life. I mean, there are countless ways that our earthly fathers fail us. And as a result, when we think about God as our heavenly father, we often view him through those lenses. We see him as being a distant or harsh or unengaged God. Or we think about, we think that God ought to just stay out of our lives, let me do my own thing until I need him to bail me out. But my friends, this is not God as Father. For God is a perfect Father. He knows the exact discipline that we need, exactly when we need it. And he is never too harsh. He is never too passive. He is never distant. And even though, as Ephesians 3 tells us, he lavishes, us, lavishes on us glorious riches, he also never spoils us. He will bring discipline in your life at the appropriate times and the appropriate ways. And like any child, you might not like the discipline in the moment, and it may seem awful and incredibly unfair, but in the long run, it will produce strength and character. And according to verse 10, it produces holiness for those who endure the correction and instruction that is given out of love. Now, with all that in mind, uh, endurance as an athlete, God as our trainer, endurance as a child, God as our father. If we're going to be able to see hardships that come in life as God giving us the proper resistance it needed to strengthen us, or if we're going to see the discipline come from a loving father who's correcting me for our good, then there better be some reasons as to why we can trust him in that way. And the only way that we're going to be able to trust him in that way is to see how he has proven himself trustworthy, which is why we must see, finally, the endurance of our Savior. Look again at verses uh, 1 through 3. It says this, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you want to be a person that endures, if you want to be a person that does not grow weary, then you must also be a person who fixes your eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. And Jesus Christ is the exemplar of what it means to endure. I mean, do you remember what I said at the beginning about endurance? 
I said that endurance is not meaningless resistance to circumstances, but purpose-filled expectation. It is seeing past the current situation and circumstances of life and seeing something greater that comes through the situation. And what better example than the cross of Jesus Christ? I mean, Jesus endured the cross. It was not a meaningless circumstance. Rather, it was a purpose-filled one. For on the other side of the cross, something greater came through the cross. And what was that? Well, it was your salvation. It was my salvation. It says that there was this joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? What was you? And it was me. It was the redemption of God's people. I mean, Jesus, in his perfect and sinless life, was an enduring athlete for you. His life, though marked by hardship and temptation and sorrow, was also marked by righteousness and trust and faith and reliance on the Father. So that when, he look, when we see him on the cross, we can have confidence to know that he went to the cross with this perfect and sinless life. And when we think about it, we see the words that he prayed before he goes to the cross. He says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. That, my friends, is the mark of one who is strong and resolute, all of which was for you. Jesus on the cross endured the cross and its shame for you. And so to end, back to my original point, why can we trust that God desires our best in the midst of hardship, it's because of Jesus. It's because the joy set before him was you. So that now, as you are in him, we can rest. And though we will never be perfect, we are growing to be more and more like Jesus. We can more and more be like Jesus in the midst of our hardship as God strengthens us and corrects us. In the midst of it, we don't have to doubt his love and his commitment to us because Jesus is a proof of God's love and commitment. The joy set before him that caused him to endure was you. And as a result, we can now endure and trust the Lord is at work in all circumstances by fixing our eyes on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that the cross is the greatest and fullest example of what uh, resistance or of endurance looks like. And it felt like resistance and it felt like a, a meaningless hardship, and yet it was the cross. It was through the cross that beauty came. And that beauty was new life for us. And so we thank you. And would you help us, Lord, to see the circumstances of life, even the difficult ones, is part of your plan to grow us and strengthen us. When discipline comes, would we see that discipline as a result of your love and compassion for us? And we, would we endure it that we might, again, be strengthened? We trust that you are for our good. And so would you, by our spirit, help us to believe that more and more. We ask all this in Jesus' name.